So Cassie, when Sergio is standing there in the hazard left of the 13th fairway, and Justin Rose is in the fairway and looking good, he's up by two, we have six holes to play. What are you thinking at this moment? I, I was thinking that Sergio was done, he was choking, he was doing his normal routine. Little did we know that things were going to turn around. Correct. I thought he was, you know, it was just going to be one of those Sergio's collapses again. But I'm so glad he hung in there and made that par. I think that was the turning point for him. I mean, he just scooted it down there after taking it unplayable. He scooted it down on the fairway, put it to four feet and saved par. I think that gave him a lot of confidence Mm -hmm. moving forward and said to himself, I can do this. He went on to roll in a birdie Mm -hmm. and rolled in that eagle that, I mean, which was incredible, that fist pump, that roar, everything. It was so Augusta-like. And before that, he had made two bogeys in the last three holes, and I think it could have went either way. He, you know, he could have just given up, but he righted the ship ship on thirteen, and he believed he could win that green jacket, and did. And of course, we talk about that turning point on thirteen. But remember, in regulation, he had that what maybe four or five foot putt to win the tournament after Justin Rose had not read that putt correctly. That uh, so many people have missed in the past that that putt that Marco Mira made in, in 1998 that uh, many people have missed on on their way to to not winning the, the green jacket. Sergio had another putt from above the hole that five footer that he missed and didn't really even come close to making that putt. You know at Carnoustie he had hit a good putt that did not go in to win in regulation during the 2007 Open Championship. This one was a bad putt, so he had to kind of reset for that playoff hole. And then Justin Rose gave him a little bit of a gift, but still Garcia goes out, makes birdie, wins the green jacket. You have to feel pretty good for him right now. Oh yeah, I mean he's I mean he's on this press tour right now up in New York <laughs> City. He's he's just loving life and good good for Sergio. Yeah, and getting married in July, I believe, right? Yeah, correct, correct. Yeah, so good good on him. Um, this kind of begs the question. It's kind of come up in the past couple of days. If Sergio were to retire right now. With his current credentials, which are he has a, a major victory now, obviously, with the Masters. He has a Players' Championship, which he won back in 2008. Remember, he beat Paul Goidos in that playoff. Um, he has 13 European Tour titles, 10 PGA Tour titles, and uh, a pretty stellar record in the Ryder Cup. Obviously, uh, one, of the, one of the top players all time in the Ryder Cup. Should he be in the Hall of Fame as it stands right now? You know, I can't I can't wait to get on Ron Green Jr. later and, mm-hmm. and hear his response. You know, he's our PGA Tour insider, but I believe he would be I, like mm. like we said, he has 31 pro wins, 10 on the PGA Tour, including that players, 31, uh, uh, 13 on the European Tour. And now he has his first major championship. He's iconic in the Ryder Cups, like you also mentioned. You know, you, you can't forget that unbelievable singles match with Phil Mickelson this past year in 2016. I think he's someone you compare to like Colin Montgomery. He's in the Hall of Fame. Um, he was inducted in 2013. He had 31 European tour titles. He was great in the Ryder Cups, but unlike a lot of the Hall of Famers, he never won a major championship. Hmm. So I, I think Sergio gets into the Hall of Fame eventually, and I think he's going to win a few more majors now. I think the monkey off his back, and he can just keep rolling. Yeah, we get to see a Sergio that's now unburdened by that expectation of having to win that first major. I think I think he's a great fit for Royal Birkdale this summer when playing the Open. And how fitting would that be if he won at a place where his idol won, Sevi, of course. It was Sevi's 60th birthday this past Sunday. I think that'd be very fitting if, if Sergio were to go on and, and to win that event. I completely agree with you. I think the Hall of Fame is more than just about 
uh, numbers. Uh, obviously, maybe just by pure numbers, Sergio would be maybe a kind of a borderline pick. I still think he would be in. But I, I think what he's represented for the game, especially in Spain, kind of carrying that torch that Olaf Abel and Ballesteros kind of held throughout you know, the 80s and 90s. Sergio's taken that. He's run with it. He's one of the more popular players. We know him by his first name. I mean, you know, when you say Sergio, you know exactly who you're talking about. He's had his struggles. You know, he he's had some incidents where he's kind of felt sorry for himself. He was, uh, you know, spitting into cups at, at Dural. You remember in the 13th hole when he did that and got flack for that. The Players' Championship with Tiger, where he made the the comment about fried chicken at a European Tour event uh, uh, gathering earlier earlier that week. He's made some mistakes, but I think over time, like a fine wine, he has aged and he has matured and he has gained perspective and balance in his life, going to get married. I, I think this is a really cool thing. He definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. And now I believe he takes over that leadership role for Spain. You know, you have yep. the Ra- yeah. Rafa Cabrera Bello coming up. You have John Rahm coming up, who's very young. He's only 22 years old. So I think he becomes that le- it, he jumps up to that leadership role and, and takes those younger players on and really helps them and develops them just, you know, so Spain can actually become a powerhouse on the PGA Tour, European Tour, just in the golf world. And right now we are going to welcome on PGA Tour insider Ron Green Jr., who was at the Masters last week and at the RBC Heritage this week. Welcome, Ron. Hello there. I hope everybody is uh, still on the emotional high from the Sergio <laughs> victory, which seemed to run through the, the golf world this week. Yeah, I think we all are, and that's what we're going to start off with. Our topic of discussion is the Masters. You've covered a lot of memorable events. Where does this Masters rank for you, given all the storylines we had this past week? Well, I mean, it, it was certainly uh, – there was an abundance of those, and I think you you remember the dramatic finishes, and, and I think given the Sergio history there and, and beyond with all the majors, I think it's one that's going to you know stay, stay with people a long time. It's funny – when Sunday started, there were so many possibilities with Ricky Fowler and uh, Jordan Spieth and Rose and all the other guys. And for the longest time, you when the, when we got to about the 12th tee on Sunday with the Rose and Garcia group, there wasn't a whole lot of drama because it looked like Sergio was falling away, Rose was two ahead, and the other guys had gone the wrong way. And it it had not been it had not lived up to its possibilities to that point. But I think. You take out the first three hours and just watch the last two hours, and it's like they packed a lot into the end there. I mean, you're up and down, back and forth, and just when you think you have figured out one way, it sort of twists the other way. And it was really good. It, it's remarkable how the Masters finds a way, not every year, but most years, to deliver such a compelling story, whether it's the person, whether it's the competition, whether it's a combination of both of those things. And, you know, and I, I think given Sergio and how it feels like we've been watching him forever and it has been whatever 19 years but for him to finally get that one I mean good for him I mean and, and in a place where I have uh buddy mine Taylor Zarzer we do a radio show on PGA Tour radio on Wednesdays the starter but we've been doing a golf radio show for I think 12 straight years and every year and the beginning of the year predictions he asked me if this is the year Sergio's going to win a major and every year I say yes, some years with more conviction than others, but I've never been right. And so this year we're sitting over there Wednesday doing the pre-tournament show for, on Sirius. He goes, we started going through players. We came to Sergio. He goes, you always, you 
you remain steadfast, Sergio's going to win a major. I said, and you said it again this year. I said, I do think he's going to win a major. I think he won one this year, just not this <laughs> Masters. So, so so much for my uh, my uh, prognostication skills. <laughs> Ron, it's interesting with how this tournament unfolded because no one could really hold on to a lead. We had we, we saw Hoffman lose multiple leads, uh, Garcia and Rose both did the same thing on Sunday at different times. And then standing in the 13th fairway, it looks like Rose is finally going to put this thing away. Garcia's in the hazard left, Rose is, is in good shape. If Rose makes that short birdie putt on 13 to go three up with five to play, does Garcia still win the tournament? Well... Simple math would tell you no, but obviously so much happens you know, in reaction in some ways. I know you play the course, but it becomes such a match play thing. Then I don't know. I, I think Sergio needed the lift. He needed something positive to happen, and, and he talks. He has talked and continued to talk about his attitude and how much sort of different he is and more accepting he is of uh, the way the golf course played, particularly at Augusta and. He was being tested right then. I mean, it had the tee shot go over there on 11 and had the hard shot and three-putted when he finally got it on the green and 13. So it, the natural inclin, inclination was to think, here we go again. Uh, how are we going to write Sergio didn't win again this time? And so he makes it, and he just, you know, you, you could see it as you look back through the week. I mean, the emotion he did share with us and showed – you can sense how much this meant, and he kept grinding. And, I mean, as as easy as those guys make it look sometimes, when they're coming down the end trying to win the Masters, and you just sort of think it's automatic you're going to go birdie the 15th hole, it's easy to spin that tee shot in there close on 16. It's not. And I mean, Justin Rose is about as steely a player as you're going to get. And uh, you know, he made some mistakes, missed some shots too, and uh, it just shows you how hard it is to win – particularly there and it sort of makes you appreciate what Sergio, what is it? Oh, for 73 total, I think 71 professional majors. Uh, yeah, it took him forever, but he finally got it done, but it is really, really hard to do. You just mentioned that Oh, for 73 step before he um, won this past masters. And everyone has talked in the past about Sergio's heartbreak. You know, the 2007 open championship comes to my, comes to mind, but He's changed a lot since then, and he's added balance into his life. At what point did you notice him changing his mentality? Well, you know, I, I think he's always a guy who has, I think his personal life sort of carries into his golf life a little bit. When he's had happy relationships, I mean, we can go way back to when, I mean, he was, he and Greg Norman's daughter were an item for a long time, and uh, Sergio was happy and chatty about that, and public about it and uh when that ended i mean he went into a deep dark funk and i can remember there were times you just basically didn't want to be around him not close to, i'm not close to him but i've covered him through the years and talked to him through the years and it's just the point like let's just go over here look like he didn't want to be on the golf course uh he wasn't playing well enough that you needed to talk to him and it just it seemed you know the the, the figure to black cloud seemed to be he seemed to be carrying it with it. Like he packed it up and carried it from place to place, gradually got out of it. And through the years, you know, he's 37 years old now. I think, uh, I think he would have been, you know, if he hadn't won a major championship, would it have gnawed at him? 
every night he tried to go to sleep? I don't think so. I think he I, he has always seen a big world. He's talked about his love of soccer. I mean, he's got a place in Switzerland. He's got a place in Spain. I mean, he, he likes to do a lot of things. I mean, I think the golf thing, the major championship thing just came hard to him and, and pushed him and it made this one more special. And the fact that it was at Augusta where he's uh, obviously had his battles there and you wouldn't think it's the first place he would win one. Well, that just, I think, adds to it. And it'd be nice to see him sort of aging through the years under the tree with his green jacket on one of the guys who gets to come back every Tuesday night and tell the stories. I mean, because he ha- does have a great appreciation for uh, for the game. We'll go back to Sergio in a second. But, Ron, outside of the Rose Garcia duel, what was the biggest surprise for you on Sunday? Did it come in that, that Spieth-Fowler group where they really didn't live up to expectations? Yeah, I, I think the natural inclination was to expect, particularly Jordan, just the 2-1-2 finishes he had had there. You thought he was going to just do it. And I, everybody Sunday morning sort of wandered around. You'd run into somebody say, all right, who do you have today? Who do you like? Well, there was a collection of different names, but Jordan's name was always there. Uh, I think just because of what he's done at Augusta. But, you know, I mean, sooner or later, he was going to have a flat day at Augusta. Uh, he didn't really have that flat a day in the hard conditions on Thursday. He made one big or, you know, the big mistake on 15 and, that sort of colored his masters from there. And you got the sense that he put so much into getting back into the tournament, the way he played Friday and Saturday. And when he was done Saturday, I mean, you could tell the motor was running pretty high. He was into it. And I mean, what makes him so great? And then some days, I mean, we know it on our level, but on their level too, some days you just go out there and it's not there. It You just don't quite have it. You know, he's talking about being three or four shots off, three or four yards off with few approach shots. And at Augusta, those three or four yards, the ball suddenly runs away 15 or 20 yards, and you've got all sorts of issues. And so, you know, he he came to the gradual realization, like, it's not going to happen. And I think the same with Ricky. I think Ricky had chipped and putted his way to where he was. His ball striking had been not maybe as great as he wanted it to be. But he'd saved himself, and he seemed to continually make those six, eight, ten footers and uh, put himself in position. And then, you know, when the ball striking sort of stayed the same, but then chipping and putting let him down on Sunday, and suddenly other guys start to make some birdies, and you're not, and you make a bogey or two, and suddenly you look up and you're five up behind, and sort of your master's chances come and gone. Ron, both Ricky Fowler and Jordan Spieth shot final round 76s and not being factors at all down the stretch. What is their outlook um, for the rest of the summer for them at the at Aaron Hills for the U.S. Open, Royal Birkdale for the Open Championship, and at Quell Hollow for the PGA Championship? Well, I think, I mean, they're going to be in the handful of guys everybody talks about at every major championship. I don't know enough about Aaron Hills, and I don't know that anybody does, to really get a sense of, Who's going to do what there? I I think, uh, I mean, you just naturally assume Jordan's going to be in contention at every major championship because it feels like he has been. And Ricky, too. I think Ricky is aging into or or growing into that role where, uh, you know, he played so well, whatever it was, two or three years ago when he had all the top fives. And then it sort of fell off a little bit. And he's got, he's talked this year that 
he's really sort of refocused himself on doing well in the majors. And uh, so I would expect, I mean, he's he's playing with such confidence right now. I think both of them are going to do well. Obviously, Ricky has won at Quail Hall. Uh, and I, I think you go there with uh, a lot of good vibes. Jordan hadn't played there that much, and the golf course has been changed a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I think any of the three remaining major championships, if you were to say both of them were going to win one of them, it wouldn't be a surprise. I mean, obviously, you got Rory and Jason Day and Dustin Johnson and any number, Sergio and all these other players to deal with. But, I mean, they're in that little handful of guys you expect to be there every week. Ron, just to go back to Sergio, uh, Cassie and I were talking earlier about whether he could retire right now and be in the Hall of Fame. He has a major win, a win at the Players, uh, 10 PGA Tour wins, 13 European Tour wins, and of course the the 22.5 points in the Ryder Cup he's played so well there his entire career. Is that enough right now, or, or does he need more than that? Oh, I think... Ultimately, yeah, I think he's probably played himself into the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. I think because he's been such a prominent presence on the world stage for two decades. I think you could make the case he wasn't there yet until he won the Masters. But I think winning at Masters, uh, you know, if you stack his career up against Fred Couples, I mean, he's won probably more than Freddie has all all over. Uh, Freddie's in there. I mean, Marco Miro won two major championships, I guess. About the same number of turns, probably not as much worldwide, but he did win a Masters in a uh, Open Championship. But I, I think Sergio, yeah, I think he will. Uh, you know, you could argue who's had the better career, Jim Furyk or Sergio. Globally, I would say it's Sergio, mm -hmm. and uh, and he's not done. I mean, that's the good thing. I think he's still sort of still in the prime of his golf life. I I think now that he's sort of broken through that door or whatever. I mean, it's not going to be easy to win majors, but it changes the way the majors feel from here out for him. Is there another major out there that suits his game very well? I know the courses change, obviously, but is there another major that you think he can get? I've always thought the Open Championship was the mm -hmm. one he was going to win. I mm -hmm. think uh, it requires imagination. It requires a lot of things. And it has seemed to require – you don't seem to have to putt maybe as well there, especially if the conditions get difficult as, as you would think at a Masters. I think the U.S. Open is such a test of patience and tolerance that I just have always thought the Open Championship was the one. Plus, being a European player, it just seemed like the natural fit. Maybe he doesn't get it. I happened to be standing right behind him in line with him at Carnoustie when he had the putt to win the year he lost in a playoff to Padraig Harrington. And he had whatever, 18 feet. And I remember as the putt rolled, I mean, I'm totally in line with it, thinking to myself, well, Sergio finally won. This is the one. And then suddenly, you know, that's the difference in missing a putt and a putt just not going in. And this one just didn't go in. And then off we go to the playoffs. Sergio's shoulders slumped. And then, I mean, the scoring tra trailer's just a few feet away. And suddenly the door slams open and Padraig Herring comes. Harrington just comes bounding down the stairs suddenly. He's got new life, and off he went. And the, the parallels to Seve, uh, if if uh, Garcia were to win the Open Championship and the Masters, of course, the two majors that, that Seve won as well. Um, Ron, if you had a Hall of Fame, 
Would your criteria be more stringent, thinking more along the lines of uh, maybe a baseball Hall of Fame where their, their guidelines are pretty tough to, to get in? Or do they have it about right where it is at the current moment? Well, I'm glad they've changed a couple things. One, I, I think they let guys in too early. Not that they haven't had Hall of Fame careers, but I mean, Phil Mickelson's still playing. He's already in the Hall of Fame. I know you can say basketball coaches, Roy Williams and all of them, Duke, uh, Mike Krzyzewski's and all of them, they're still coaching. But I, I think they, I, I like at least 50 years old before you're qualified. Uh, I used to vote for the Hall of Fame. They changed the voting criteria now, and which I'm fine with. I, I think they have people who uh, can just focus on this, and I, I'm okay with that. I, I've never been one who just loves purely the statistical impact of what somebody did in baseball. You know, if you hit 500 home runs and, and got, you know, 2,500 hits or whatever, you're automatically in. Uh, I mean, there's some guys on the baseball hall of fame now who are in and have great career numbers, but, you know, I, I don't know that they were ever the best players in, in their field. So I don't know. It, it's, it, it's a, it's a gray area. I, I think they're not calling it the hall of achievement. They're calling it a hall <laughs> of fame. I think you could make the case and I'm not making this case, but you could make the case. Have there been in the last 20 years, have there been five golfers more popular, more famous, more recognizable than John Daly? Probably not. You could make, <laughs> and if it's the hall of fame, I mean, he's about as famous as they get. <laughs> And uh, he's somebody people go to see now. And he won two major championships. Uh, but, I mean, he's not going to go in the Hall of Fame. But, I mean, he's, you know, more famous than some of the guys who are in there now. Uh, but so, you know, that's why I never had a problem with Fred Couples. A lot of people had a problem that Freddie got in there. But one player's championships, part of Ryder Cup, won the Masters, was the number one player in the world and was just immensely popular. I mean, that's. To this day, I mean, you, at Augusta last week, people out there traipsing along, following Freddie, hoping that it could happen one more time. So I think it's a blend of things. I, I think sometimes I'll see who they select and I'll go, hmm, not sure. I thought they waited too long for Davis Love, but uh, you know, he's uh, he's more than deserving. And uh, So, you know, they're, they're very I, – I don't mind the subjectivity. I probably like that better more than I like just the – hey, you've got to get this number of this and this and this to even qualify. Right. Ron, before we let you go, you're down at Hilton Head this week for the RBC Heritage. I'm not, I don't think you've been to the course yet, but how does the surrounding area look since the damage from the hurricane that they sustained in October? I, I've seen a few spots of debris and everything. I think they've done a really nice job. From what, what I've seen cleanup is, you wouldn't really know if you didn't know it had happened. I know at Harbor Town, the golf course, they took a really hard hit and had to do a lot of work to get it back in shape. Uh, the kind of work that you know, when you get there and you see it, like no, no big deal. But if you'd gone back to whenever it was September, October and, and seen what it looked like then and seen the, the palm trees and the, just the, so much stuff done to it. I mean, it's, it's a massive undertaking. Uh, you know, this is a huge week for, Hilton Head, the, the golf tournament's at the center of what they do every all year, but it's also Easter week. I mean, you've got uh, 
we we grizzled veterans who've been here enough times know to make your restaurant <laughs> reservations several weeks in advance because otherwise <laughs> Saturday and Sunday you're uh, you're going to the grocery store just cooking in. But uh, I, I think they they've done a lot to get it back. They're in a very good sp- spot. They don't have a lot of the biggest stars this year. It varies from year to year, but what they've done with RBC's involvement and then with Boeing, which has the big plant just up the road in Charleston, it really reinvigorated this golf tournament. Uh, they've built a new clubhouse. They've uh, uh, One of the adjacent golf courses they've redone. Uh, there's a lot of really positive momentum down here, and I think you know, the hurricane was you know, it, it interrupted and it became a, a huge problem and big cleanup, but I think they are really on strong footing now for a tournament that, I don't know, five years ago was on, was made day, weeks, if not days away from going away. And uh, I think they, it's the perfect place after the Masters. A nice kind of getaway, a little low key event after all that stress to, to have at Augusta. So. Definitely, uh, it's so small comparatively. <laughs> Augusta's enormous, uh, and they probably don't like that word, but it's big in the scale of the golf course, the scale of what's at stake, the scale of the the, the number of people who are there. And then you come to Hilton Head, and, and there are nice crowds, but some of them don't know the golf tournament's going on, and they're just having a big old time. Uh, <laughs> around 17, around 16, 17, and 18, down around the marina and just out walking around. It's a great little flat golf course. A lot of you can go out there for three holes and come back in. Uh, and if you want to walk outside, walk over to the marina and sit at a bar for a few minutes and come back into the golf course, you can do that too. And and the players sort of just drift in and get back to it. And you see kids running around and uh, it's just a really, really uh, sort of islandish, low country vibe. Sounds good to me. Ron, have a great week in South Carolina, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, guys. I enjoyed it. And now, right on to our schedule for the week. We start with the aforementioned RBC Heritage, where Brandon Grace will defend his title at Harbortown. More than 265 trees were removed from the course following Hurricane Matthew last October, and that is significant given the course's narrow, kind of tree-lined nature, very much a shot-maker's course. But they've planted a couple dozen of them in strategic places to retain some of the shot value the course is, is widely known for. So that should be another good event. Always a great event right after the Masters. Matt Kuchar and Kevin Kisner are your favorites, but look out for Pat Perez, Bill Haas, and William McGirt. Yeah, and how about while the guys are playing in Hilton Head, um, how about SB2K17 happening with Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, Justin Thomas, Smiley Kaufman down at Baker's Bay in the Bahamas again? I'm so disappointed that Gary Player didn't get an invite. I I really would have liked to seen him be a part of that fivesome. That would have been awesome. <laughs> well, didn't they invite Rory McIlroy? But I believe he's getting married within the next two weeks here, so I don't think he could join them. Yeah, he had FOMO last year. Yeah, so I think I think he's missing out this year. But Two years anyways, in a row. Come on, Rory. Gonna, yeah, those guys are going to have fun regardless. <laughs> Follow them on Snapchat. They're they're already going at it today. <laughs> um, the LPGA is at the Lottie Championship on the Hawaiian island of Oahu at Ko'olina. 
golf club. There are 80 players in the top 100 of the world in the 144-player field. Minji Lee is the defending champion, but you'll also see Michelle Wee, Brittany Lincecum in B Park, and Soyeon Yu, the ANA inspiration champion in the field. And as a scheduling note, it runs Wednesday through Saturday. So a little primetime golf on Wednesday night for everyone with the ladies. I've said this before, Cassie, but I'm always amazed at the LPGA's ability to have great fields seemingly every single week. Obviously, they don't they don't play every week, so that helps. But just always amazed at how, how strong the fields are for them. I know. Good for them to get that good field, too. Absolutely. And uh, the Champions Tour is... Staying in the South, they've uh, they played in Mississippi a couple weeks ago. They're going to stay in the South in Georgia. The Mitsubishi Electric Classic at TPC Sugarloaf. Remember, we played uh, the Bell South Classic there in the PGA Tour many years ago. Uh, Woody Austin will be defending his title there. After just about a month off, the European Tour is back this week with the Trophy Hassan Tournament in Morocco. Our very own John Steinbrader is there, and he'll actually be on the postcast next week to talk about his time in Morocco. But the field this week has defending champion Jun Hun Wang in there, and also other notables include South Africa's Brandon Stone and 2018 Team European Ryder Cup captain Thomas Bjorn. That's a really cool golf course. I love the wall behind one of those greens. Oh, man. I like watching that tournament. No. Really cool. That's that's a bucket list type of Absolutely. golf course you want to play. <laughs> Ask Steve Eubanks about a story about meeting the king of Morocco many years ago. We're, we're going to have to bring him on and talk to him about that. <laughs> yeah, we should. <laughs> okay, well, let's go right into Bingo Bango Bongo. Last week, obviously, being the Masters, Cassie, I had John Rahm to win. He actually played uh, fairly well in the first couple of rounds. He was in the mix at one under through 36 holes, ended up being T27, but First-timers of the Masters always kind of struggle. You know, the last time someone's won as a first-timer at Augusta was Fuzzy Zeller back in 79. So I'm sure throughout the years, John Rahm will have his chances. Yes, and I had Dustin Johnson to win, and obviously he didn't start because he fell down some stairs and hurt his lower back. So there's nothing there nothing there for me. Um, I picked Tommy Fleetwood as my sleeper. Uh, sleeper. He unfortunately missed the cut. Um, he did not play well uh, last week. Who was your sleeper? My sleeper was uh, was Shane Lowry. He uh, w- played really well in the first round. They just blew up in the second round and missed the cut. Mm. So uh, I'm I'm right there with you and our sleepers both both missing the cut. And I believe we both had Danny Willett to to miss the cut, and yes. he, which he did, yes. right? Yes, he did, and he had a shank, so a hard shank. That, yeah. <laughs> When I saw that, I got really nervous for the people watching him. Um, what was it, on the right side of that fairway? Oh, man. I, I get nervous sometimes watching on TV when people are too close because I always worry, you know, these guys are good, but eh, sometimes they mess know. up. <laughs> you never know. You just never Prime know. example. Yeah, that led to Prime a quad for, for Danny. So yeah. no, no, no good there, but uh, yeah, hopefully so. he gets it back together soon. Yeah, so I would say no, no points across the board. Uh, yeah, well, we'll we'll give ourselves one for picking Danny Will to miss the cut. We'll 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 split one. Okay, Okay. (laughs) that works for me. So uh, moving on to the RBC Heritage, I'm going to go with Matthew Fitzpatrick to win. Hmm. Uh, He's had three top twenties in his last five starts. Great putter was t twenty three at Harbor Town three years ago, and hopefully it's his week to pick up a first PGA Tour win. 
I'm going to go with Kevin Kistner. You mm. mentioned him earlier in the notables and possible players to win, so I'm going to go with him. You don't need to be a big-time hitter to win here, so this course fits uh, Kistner's game very well. He lost in a playoff here in 2015, and um, this year he hasn't missed a cut yet, which includes three top ten finishes, so I think he's due for a win. Yeah, South Carolina guy, hometown uh, hometown favorite, so I'm sure he uh, will play well. He's played, played, played well there in the in the past. My sleeper this week, I'm going to go with Jason Kokrak. He has three top 18 finishes in Hilton Head over the past few years. Uh, I like him to play well this week. Long hitter, not necessarily the guy you'd expect to play well at Hilton Head, but I'm going to go with him this week. He's played well there in the past. Good choice. Good choice. Um, I'm going to go with Luke Donald. Mm. When, when was the last time you heard that name? Right, <laughs> right um, now. <laughs> he's never, yeah, right now, right? He's never won there, but he's second in all-time earnings at the RBC Heritage, which has to say something, right? He has the short game that fits the course as he's a four-time runner-up, and he's also placed third twice here. So I think he's due for something good to happen to him there. Yeah, that'd be a nice story if he were to come out there and play well. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Charlie Hoffman to miss the cut which I know may be a little bit of a strange pick given how well he's played. He had that 65 last week in the opening round at Augusta. But he has played well at the RBC Heritage, but I feel like, you know, sometimes when you play a lot of great golf, it's easy to have a letdown, especially after he blew a couple of leads last week. And, you know, golf is kind of an emotional game. We talked earlier in the year about Justin Thomas winning twice in Hawaii and then kind of hitting a lull before playing some better golf later on. I'm going to go with Charlie Hoffman to kind of have a disappointment here, but overall for the year, play play pretty well. That's kind of a disappointment if he was to miss the cut this week, yeah. I feel. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm going to pick Rafa Cabrera Bayo to hmm. miss the cut this week, and I'm going to pick this. I'm going to pick him because it's his first time seeing this course. Um, it's his first time playing there, I guess I should say. So I feel like it doesn't really fit his game well. He's a very long hitter. Um, he's also missed the cut in his last two stars at the Shell Houston Open and last week at the Masters. So I really just don't see him playing well here this week. Yeah, I picked him to win at Houston and he missed the cut. So I support that yeah. pick. Yes, thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> and, on, and on that note, that's all the time we have left on the postcast this week. Please follow us on our social media feeds, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Global Golf Post and you'll find us. Also, if you have any topics you'd like Sean for Sean and I to discuss, tweet at us. You can find me at uh, Cassie Stein 25 and Sean at Fairway Fairhome. Until next time, for Sean and I, hit him straight. See you later. <laughs>